Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. Teaching online requires different strategies and skills from those used in classroom teaching. There are great opportunities in online teaching, but there are also many challenges. To discuss the best practices for making online teaching a success, I'm joined by Dr. Sarah Krongard, Associate Director of Program Development at Harvard Graduate School of Education's Professional Education. Sarah runs professional development courses for teachers, helping them to learn techniques to make online teaching a success. Sarah is a media education specialist with a doctorate from Boston University, where her research focused on media literacy, mobile learning, the future of workplace design and culture, and the digital pedagogy. She has been a teaching fellow and researcher at Harvard and Boston University. Her work currently focuses on training teachers in developing strategies for online teaching and learning. Thank you very much, Sarah, for joining me today. Thank you. Can you first tell me a little bit about the Harvard Graduate School of Education in professional education courses that you work on? Sure, sure. So so I joined the professional education team at HGSE a little under a year ago, mostly to work in the space of media, technology, and education and the intersection of those three dimensions and how they come together. So this could mean online learning or how do we learn with, from, and through technology and new media. I've had the opportunity to work on multiple courses related to online learning, particularly with Barbara Tracy, the faculty person uh, who leads these courses, Strategies for Online Teaching and Learning, which is really an overview about the frameworks, theories, and then concrete practices that can support online and hybrid learning. And then the, there's a follow-up course to that called Online Teaching and Learning in Action, which is meant to guide educators as they actually implement online and blended and hybrid learning experiences. So that course integrates a the design thinking framework, originally, I think, designed through Stanford. We look at the liberatory design framework as, as a way to conceptualize design thinking, which was developed in a collaboration between the design school at Stanford and the National Equity Project. So it really centers learners and their needs and encourages you at every step of the way to think about how are you designing for equity and, and encouraging your learners to bring their cultures, their needs, priorities, passions into the learning experience in an authentic way. So that course really tries to center around how do you dig into problems of practice through a design thinking lens? Uh, so it's very actionable, but it's also very like research and theory driven. That's, that's how I try to approach a lot of these courses, making sure they're practical, but really driven by the research and the underlying theory in education and in communication. So strategies for online teaching and learning, as well as online teaching and learning in action. Um, Those are two courses I've been able to work with Barbara on, which has been a wonderful experience. Um, One of the more recent courses I'm working on is called Screen Time Savvy with Joe Blatt at HGSE. And 
this is kind of around media education, media literacy. How do we use media, pop culture, screen culture as, as opportunities for learning and kind of shift the paradigm from seeing screen time as such a problematic, fearful thing um, and instead seeing it as an opportunity and just potential for a way to connect with learners, especially during this time where we're all well, many of us learning at home or working at home, there's been such a spike in screen time that mm -hmm. I do think it has people very worried. And what we're presenting are, you know, there's a lot of potential there of ways to learn with screens and learn with media. And I think sometimes people, you know, when it comes to media and entertainment media specifically, people tend to rely on their opinions. Like, I don't think I'm influenced by media or I don't have a problem, but really there's a ton of data. There's just mm -hmm. like decades and decades of research on how to do this well. And so I think what we're trying to do is, is use some of that research and some really interesting and exciting projects that at related um, programs in schools around the country to show that there's actually a lot of opportunity there. And if you kind of design your media engagement experiences in a deliberate, intentional way. Um, so those are a few. That's fantastic. I mean, there's just a wealth of different courses that you're offering and the link is in, in the show notes as well, where people can find it. And it's such an important thing because you are bringing the research and the practice together and really showcasing and teaching how best to utilize these tools. As you said, media can easily be just an entertainment tool. It can also be a very, very powerful education tool if you design correctly and you have the foundations of educational principles. So I know that you do that extremely well. And these individuals who are coming to these courses are teachers. So these are professional development, short courses right. that teachers do while they're working, correct? Correct. Um, it's not just teachers, though. So it's educators really around the world at mm -hmm. any level and role. We have we have offerings. Some are designed specifically for certain audiences, and you can see that. Like there are, you know, strategies for online teaching and learning. The original was designed mostly with K twelve in mind, just the K twelve sphere. So teachers, administrators, school leaders, mm -hmm. curriculum leaders, all sorts of roles there. But also early childhood. We tried to. We tried to build in resources that speak to a variety of roles because we know the frameworks are generally accessible for everyone, but then we have specific examples that we try to give, whether it's a content area or a grade level, we try to give a lot of variety as far as the um, examples. So we also have like a higher ed version of SOTL, which is what we call it. It's called the online classroom. That's for higher ed about online learning and higher ed. And that'll be coming up either the spring or summer. We also have... So Screen Time Savvy and another media-based course, which is called Deeper Than Edutainment, which looks at cross-media. So specifically media that's books to movies, movies to books, um, and how we can use these two formats to um, deepen our understanding of you know, differences, cl close comparison, using cross-media as a teaching tool, not just mm -hmm. like movies for, you know, the day before a vacation, but how do you Absolutely. do it in a way that's very thoughtful, um, looking at aesthetics, at ethics, um, looking really deeply at these, at these texts. And so screen time savvy and deeper than edutainment are courses that we also are offering to caregivers. We, mm -hmm. we really want to open this up because parents, other people who are doing caretaking right now are our teachers, everybody, mm -hmm. you know, we are teaching all the time. Um, those of us who are engaging with young people in our lives. So we're kind of broadening the definition of educator and opening it up and kind of trying to be accessible and connected with, with caregiving communities. 
That's really wonderful that you're opening it up to all sorts of different educators and caretakers as well. And so what can someone expect from this experience? What does this experience look like if someone were to join? Sure. So they are designed in a way that, so I, this is, it's tricky because on the one hand, I want to provide, you know, all the resources in, in the land, you know, like it just gives so much information, but at the same time, just so cognizant of the fact that everyone is very overloaded right now and dealing with a lot, not just work related, but also just we're in the midst of this collective trauma and mm-hmm. it's, it's not easy. So I, And really, my intention is to create supportive spaces where assignments and air quotes around assignments, because I I want the engagements to be very flexible, very supportive, and to allow space and time for the type of work and the type of thinking that our participants are already doing, and just providing them with resources to, to give them more structure around how they're thinking about these big challenges and questions, and then a supportive community. So mm-hmm. a network of people that they can learn with and from. We really focus a lot on peer engagement within these courses. We provide a framework for peer feedback, which we, we really love that model where people are learning from each other as well and seeing you know what works in this context. And, and, and they're global. These workshops are global. So we have people from all over the world sharing their practices and their experiences. My hope is that they are very supportive, flexible places to connect and kind of get some strategies and frameworks and ways of thinking. That's so important. And from the course that I'm very familiar with, then I know that you really did a great job of interweaving the design of the courses interweaving with the individual's work. So as you said, it's supportive. The homework is meant to be really useful to what you are currently doing in your job. So it's really interweaving their practice and with their learning. So that's a wonderful thing. So most of the teachers that are in your courses have switched to emergency online learning with the start of the pandemic, which is certainly not ideal way to start online teaching. There's a lot of skills that are required and a lot of knowledge. So what have you found to be the greatest challenges for these teachers? There are a few themes that come up over and over again in these experiences, these workshops and discussions that we have with educators. The challenge of engagement, learner engagement, student engagement, that is, that comes up over and over again. You know, what do I do when my student just doesn't turn on their video? And then when I, when the class is over, they're still there because they're not actually at their computer and you're trying (laughs) to connect with them. You know, those kinds of like, you know, engagement is kind of this big umbrella term, but like, that's the reality that experience of like, I see their, their little name on zoom and they're not there. So engagement, motivation comes up over and over again. How do I get kids to want to learn in this environment to keep coming back, especially when they're going through all sorts of different things. We really don't always know what's going on in the lives of these young people. Um, And also so many other distractions and different things happening in their environment while they're online make it also really difficult, doesn't it? Right. Absolutely. I mean, they're juggling a lot. I think just, just as educators are, the young people are juggling a lot too and trying to kind of process the trauma that's happening. And a lot of that, it just takes a lot of resources from, from them. So that that's a huge challenge. And then assessment assessment is, so I, I see those as the, the big three challenges I see over and over engagement, motivation, and assessment and assessment because, well, you know, it's, it requires a different of assessing mm-hmm. learning when you're, when you're online. So something like if you stick to your, you know, summative exams 
and you expect that like, okay, I'm going to try to replicate that experience and make sure their computers are off and they're not looking at books or the internet. Like mm-hmm. that's just not going to happen. And, yes. and truly it should, I, I think it's, this experience is pushing us to be like, should that really be happening in face-to-face traditional learning either? I mean, the pandemic I think has pushed us to rethink a lot of practices that perhaps were innately kind of either maybe not that effective or they were inequitable or they were, you know, not really truly assessing learning. What were, what exactly are we trying to assess? So I do yeah. think when you're pushed and encouraged to go be in an online environment, you have to rethink what are you measuring and does it matter? And are you measuring what does matter? When you rethink assessment, it really comes down to rethinking your pedagogy, which is huge and overwhelming. And I think that, you know, in a time like this, it's very hard to be like, okay, let me, let me just rethink my entire practice. (laughs) That Mm -hmm. is not easy, but, but on, in some level, it kind of has to happen when you think about how do you know your learners are reaching the milestones that you want them to, what is the evidence that you have for that? Those are the kind of questions that, that you can rethink. And I encourage people to think about formative assessment and, peer review or self-assessment, trying to provide more opportunities for reflection from the students themselves. And another another little quick thing that I, I see is, like you mentioned before, students or young people are dealing with a lot in their lives that we don't necessarily even know about. I think that they they might be learning a lot more than we than we know. So kind of rethinking assessment to be like, do, are we do we want to stick to you know the standards right now, mm-hmm. or should we be rethinking what we're measuring and maybe maybe prioritizing some of these other skills? Maybe exactly. it's you know self regulation, management within your home. You know, there there's a lot of interpersonal dynamics that are likely emerging. So how do we? get a lens into that learning that's happening that maybe isn't what we expected. Absolutely. Because it does, when you're squeezed and you're under such incredible pressure, it does highlight a lot of things that are very important to consider and to redesign and to rethink. Of course, in an emergency situation, it's very hard to do that. But as you said, it highlights these questions that have been lingering in education for a long time. And we really need to think about it and, and reconsider Mm-hmm. slowly what they mean and hopefully come up with something even better right. that will work for people. So what are some of your key teaching strategies that you think mm-hmm. would be helpful for teachers, something that they can, and educators, something that they can come away with? What are the big things? So one thing that people tend to leave our workshops realizing is the importance of building social presence within your online or blended learning experiences. So by social presence, I just mean kind of the interpersonal human interaction that happens where you bring your personality in. And this can kind of get lost in an online space because it's something that happens so organically in a Mm -hmm. traditional face-to-face environment. It kind of just happens. And I think a lot of teachers are very skilled at making it happen Mm face-to-face. They have a lot of experience bringing that out in students and reading faces and reading those cues and providing opportunities for connection and relationship building online. You need to do it so deliberately and it doesn't just happen organically. It's something Mm -hmm. that you really have to design. Absolutely. It's just different, isn't it? And I mean, social interactions we've been practicing since we were born, but social interactions online, we aren't really that familiar with, and we haven't been practicing for that long. So it takes a little bit of Well, it takes a lot of effort, really, to absolutely understand the strategies and how the different ways that you can connect. And it's so important, isn't it? Because learning and teaching, so much of it is about the social rapport and the communication and the the way that the teacher sees you and understands you. 
So it's extremely important. And so what would you say into creating a social presence? How do you do that? So, so I would encourage educators to begin with themselves and really model the type of openness and authenticity that they hope their students bring in mm-hmm. to the online experience. And that can be hard. That can be a bit of a leap. Honestly, I think maybe young people today have more experience with that because they've grown up with social media. Mm-hmm. I mean, not necessarily that they're trained in how to do it well, or but the, but they're very they're experienced in online spaces and. They're, they know how to recognize authenticity too, I think. I think mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that they live in that world much more than I think a, adults tend to just because of the longevity with which they've, they've grown yes. with it. I think that if the, the educator can make a leap into being okay, being kind of imperfect and asking for feedback for themselves, mm-hmm. you know, we're all learning. And I think kind of demonstrating that can be really nice because you want an environment where, so the social present kind of in, allows an environment of trust and mm-hmm. connectivity. And so if you feel like you can be yourself and you can trust the people around you, then you're, feel, then you can feel comfortable, like raising your electronic hand or, or reaching out and saying like, I don't understand this, but that's vulnerability. And that is hard and you need to be trusting and you need to feel like you're a part of that community in order to, to be at that place. So it's, it's not only a nice to have, it's, it's a necessity. So I do think building in specific opportunities, perhaps creating some agreements or norms around how that happens, whether it's emoji use or reactions or, you know, putting some sort of personal zoom background or, or, mm-hmm. or even just taking some time at the beginning of class to go into breakouts and and talk more freely about something like some sort of informal prompt that allows young people to bring their passions and interests and personal lives into the learning experience. That can be kind of hard, but I think building opportunities, making space for it, and knowing that it is imperative as a way to facilitate the the cognitive elements of learning. You know, you need that social piece in order to facilitate it. It, it kind of connects to the issue of engagement and motivation too, because when young people feel connected and they feel some sense of autonomy and that their personal lives and interests and passions matter, they're more likely to be motivated. So many of these dimensions are interconnected and interwoven and just keeping them all in mind and having deliberate design in place to foster that environment is, is the way to go. Definitely. And I definitely like the fact that you're saying teachers should be open to showing their own vulnerability and asking for help because demonstrating that you're a learner as well in different aspects is such an important demonstration to the students that you're trying to help. That co-learning is fantastic. In terms of a strategy, what else would you suggest? I guess something very specific as I'm thinking about, you know, integrating the idea of online learning and screen time and something that I really, I find really important is the blending of your informal life with your formal education life. So I think creating windows there. So maybe it's providing choice of what it is that students are, you know, talking about or writing about or creating something about. If it's something that they're really passionate about, whether it's some sort of media text, I think that that's a really great way in Mm -hmm. to connecting with their more fun life, you know, their their personal life, their interests. So allowing space for that, building their own personal needs into the assignments and just like connecting themselves to the, making sure that they're embedded within the fabric of your curriculum to me is like the ideal. That Mm -hmm. is going to address issues of social presence. It'll address issues of engagement 
it'll address issues of motivation. And I think if you've bolstered that level of autonomy, you might have a pathway into self-assessments where they're reflecting on their learning and that builds some metacognitive skills that can help facilitate self-regulation. Like, you know, I did pretty well here and I liked talking about my, you know, love of the Mandalorian or some like popular television show. That's a Star Wars thing, right? Something like that. Like they're bringing in their interests, they're bringing their passions, they're reflecting on their process. They are driving their learning experience. They have Mm -hmm. agency. I would just encourage educators to not be afraid of that. Of course, there are obstacles. There are standards that you have to meet. There are learning objectives and then the educators have to stick to some of that. But but wherever there are opportunities for choice and for student voice, I think just making sure we really take advantage of them. Absolutely. I mean, having that investment in the subject as much as you can, because you're interested in the topic. Uh, It's always important, but especially when you're doing it online and you are somewhat disconnected and it's more difficult, it's even more important to build that in. So if you have a writing project, just let them have the freedom to choose the topic because the topic is not necessarily the the point. It's the writing that's the point. And in all sorts of different ways that it can kind of be built in or even giving, as you said, autonomy into making choices together as a class sometimes, even if the, the details are not individually chosen, but to make the circumstances as a class decision or however you can. I really like that. That is very, very important. I know you told me that there is another strategy that you think is really important to highlight. Yeah. I mean, so something that I'm a big proponent of and in these courses, we look at the community of inquiry model as a, as Mm -hmm. a way to guide online and blended learning development. And this came out of research in uh, Australia. And this now is a leading framework as far as like citations go and how many people are actually using it, especially Mm -hmm. particularly in North America. But for me, it really helps the deliberate design and integration of specific presences. So we have, I talked a lot about social presence, but there's also teaching presence or instructional presence as well as cognitive presence. And more recently, they've put a real emphasis on learner presence, which I spoke a bit about as well, like really centering your learners, their backgrounds, their passions, their, their cultures, their interests, and aligning your curriculum to them to basically just making space for them to have their selves within mm-hmm. the course. But in, in just in addition to the, to what I spoke about with learners and social presence, you know, cognitive presence is really the deliberate design of the experience. So things like time need to be reconsidered completely. You know, what takes an hour to, d- to explain in a face-to-face environment is going to be experienced really differently online, whether you're doing some sort of real-time synchronous learning or if it's on-demand asynchronous learning, which I think should be more utilized because it's really helpful to speak to your learners and provide them with opportunities for reflection. You really need to design the sequence and think about think about time and think about sequencing and how you're going to scaffold the experience. It's not about replication. It's about transformation. You move from the face-to-face space, really rethinking how you're going to get to those same learning goals. The goals, I think, can remain. You might even add a few when you're thinking about how we communicate and how we collaborate online. Like those could be specific objectives that you that you design for. But the how, the vehicle of how you get there is going to look so differently. So really being open to transforming that cognitive experience for young mm-hmm. people and rethinking your own teaching and 
it pushes you to think about yourself as an educator and who you are. How do you present yourself? How are you interpreted? Mm -hmm. What are the millions of tiny moves you make face to face that provide you with the environment that you've created and, and that I'm sure do so well because educators are incredible. But then how do you transform that magic for an online space and giving it time and attention because it's easy to get on Zoom and feel like, oh, this is just not the same and I'm not feeling the same feedback and I don't feel connected and then get discouraged, but really just going into it, knowing that this is going to be tremendously different and being ready for that and identifying all the ways that you make the magic happen face-to-face and think about how can I transform it and reignite everyone's passions through this virtual land that we're in. Exactly. So for those who are interested in the community of inquiry model, the highlight is really to think through these different aspects of learning, correct? Right. These these various dimensions that really all need to be interwoven together. And just for a citation, I can send this to you for, to include in your link, but it's researchers Garrison and Anderson are kind of the leaders in it. And they're just, the work is really incredible. And it's really has a ton of research in there. And I know right now educators aren't like, you know, I have a ton of free time. I'd love to produce some research, but if, if you are interested, and looking at kind of like the research on indicators of these presences and how they emerge in online spaces, then there there really is a lot there. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the model and only the fact that in such a busy time, it's really hard to delve into research. So trying to find the highlights of of academic models (laughs) is so important, but but that that was really well put. And as you said, asynchronous learning should be taken advantage of more because it allows that opportunity to learn at your own pace and to to think about about it and reflect on it on your own, but then come together live. So can you just give the highlight for people who are not that familiar about asynchronous, what the highlight is? Sure. So I do think that there is kind of this natural inclination to think that like learning happens when you're on, when Mm -hmm. you're in real time, looking at each other, there's a real bias, I think, in education to real-time learning. And I'm such a proponent of rethinking that and thinking about the possibilities with asynchronous learning, you know, giving lots of materials ahead of time, providing them with the the resources they need to kind of prompt their their thinking and, and get them going. And then Perhaps they do some writing on their own. Um, Of course, this takes more scaffolding. You know, it takes like building in this direction to get to this point of self-regulation because it is very hard. It comes to young children, especially in motivation, but providing opportunities for for that and, and highlighting that that is learning time. I really, I push back against the idea that learning time means staring at a computer. Like not mm-hmm. necessarily, there's a lot that we can do elsewhere. And I, I would encourage people to rethink what that looks like. Beth Holland is an amazing online learning researcher and she's just done a lot of great thinking, but something she's always talking about is like, what about the cell phone? You know, we can rethink that it has a camera. You can have a special young ki- children, like build something, then take a picture of it. Like, yes. you know, do learning in other ways, in other moments and just figure out ways to make that learning visible and Mm -hmm. consider what are some like creative ways of demonstrating their knowledge and their Mm -hmm. experience, documenting it. I would just really encourage people to think that, think about the learning that takes place when the camera or the Zoom chat is off, you know? Mm -hmm. And a big opportunity for this is really to step back and say, what is the essence that I'm trying to teach? Because so often we know what our curriculum is and what the lessons look like. And sometimes it's good to step back and say, what exactly do they need to come away knowing? And then maybe there's different ways of actually presenting that and making that happen. Right. Which is really good. Great. Those are really, really useful. And 
for teachers new to online teaching, what is the most important aspects of their teaching to focus on to improve their online course? I mean, we talked about a lot of different things and it is overwhelming when you're thrown into it. So many teachers around the world have been in it for several months, but still it is, it is a challenge for sure. What would be some of the highlights? Sure. I would encourage educators and they probably are already doing this. I'm not mm-hmm. telling them they don't anything. So they don't many people know. are doing such wonderful things. And one of the biggest <laughs> thing is to talk to others because yeah. you learn from the different experiences and strategies that others have developed. So absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what I would encourage first and foremost is just step back and look at your learning goals and because that is where it's going to start and end. And so making sure that the goals are really, really fleshed out in a way that they are measurable and then kind of rethink how you measure them and think about the virtual experience. So starting with your goals and then think about how you might get there creatively, think about how the times and and think about affordances of the technologies at your disposal. So Mm -hmm. by affordances, I mean, kind of like the biases of the tools that you have, whether that is, okay, do you have Zoom? Great. We can do some real-time sessions where kids are really interacting because this is the moment where we're all in one place. Let's allow young people to interact. Let's do breakout activities. Let's let them connect, see each other's eyes. I would say, think about the affordance of, are you going to record a lecture? Okay, let's record that. And they can watch that on their own time or read on their own time. Think about your goals, then rethinking time, how you get there and how the technology will provide the vehicle that you that you need in the moment. So what are the affordances? What are the biases, the constraints and opportunities provided by these tools? And how can we best utilize them to support different ways in for different learners? I mean, universal design for learning is another really key component I would encourage people to look into. Universal design for learning, I think, is someplace resource for educators because basically what the premise is, is that everyone learns differently and has Mm -hmm. different ways in. And it's a way to, it's really a way to put yourself into different people's shoes, isn't it? So to think about the different ways people learn the different, maybe challenges that they're having and put, put yourself in their shoes to say, would they be able to learn from this? Yeah. And then providing multiple means of representation of how you're representing the, le- the, the content and then multiple means of, of assessment, multiple means of show, how do they want to show that they're learning, you know, whether it's auditory or whether they're visual, you know, mm-hmm. there's lots of different ways of doing things and providing space again, choice to do that, I think is really helpful. So thinking about just learner differences and providing ways to make learning accessible, especially right now, we don't all engage with zoom or, or your learning management system um, in the same way. And also thinking about your learners from an equity perspective of what do they have access to at home? I mean, that might change things. And I would recommend thinking about the phone, thinking about text messages, thinking about how you can communicate in ways that meet your learners where they are. Yeah, that's what I would really start with, just like getting to know your learners and meeting them where they are. And I also, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about the fact that as we're trying to, as educators are trying to keep the curriculum going and keep the same lessons online that they had in class, I think it's also a good idea to step back and reflect on what part of my in-class teaching can I drop? Yeah, right. I mean, I think you can't do everything online and it's very different. There's a lot of change. A lot of change always takes time for the learner and the teacher. And some things maybe are not that important, are nice if you can be together, Mm -hmm. but maybe some things can drop, can't it? Do you think some of that trimming would be helpful? 
Absolutely. I think, I don't know exactly who came up with this first, but I know I have seen um, Justin Reich, who's at MIT, talking about um, Marie Kondo, the curriculum. So if you know her approach, is just like, Great. you know, thinking about what exactly are the elements that spark joy and learning um, and being comfortable getting rid of the other things and really mm-hmm. pare down and prioritize. Because it's so much better to learn the essence rather than try to do everything and learn very little. Exactly. But I like that, the Marie Kondo of <laughs> curriculum. <laughs> That's fantastic. So in addition to the great courses from the Harvard Graduate School of Education, professional education programs, what are other resources that might be helpful for teachers, educators, caretakers in yeah. helping children online? I can share a few things. I mean, this is just from my own experience, my own perspective. I think what I mentioned before, the Universal Design for Learning through CAST is the organization. They have mm-hmm. some terrific resources, Community of Inquiry Model. They have a really helpful website with lots of resources connected And something from a media perspective, I recently had the chance to speak with Dr. Henry Jenkins at the University of Southern California about the civic imaginations project that they are working on. Mm -hmm. Really neat. And we were able to bring him in for one of our courses, but basically they have an online free toolkit that provides whether it's educators or caregivers, kind of guidance on how to use popular culture and entertainment media as a kind of catalyst for conversations around civic life and civic identity. So these are, are again, ways of kind of informal learning that that you can be doing with young people when it makes sense for you and when it speaks to your your learners, the young people you're working with. So those are a couple of resources I just thought of off the top of my head that I think are really terrific. And of course, there's usable knowledge at HGSE through Harvard that has a lot of terrific guidance and articles and then Project Zero online at um, through Harvard. They have quite a lot of protocols, so learning protocols to guide educators as the, they're having these conversations with young people. Those are a lot of resources that are free and accessible. So Great. Links will be in the show notes for anybody who's interested. That's fantastic. I mean, obviously this topic is massive and there's so much to learn, but hopefully everyone has something they can take away and something that they can improve on, on this journey, which is quite challenging for educators, learners, caregivers. So it's very, very important to have some tips and insights, how to be able to do it a little bit better. And so many people are doing it well, or have different strategies and just connecting with them is is so important as well. But thank you very much for sharing your insights. But before we end, I would like to ask you for your recommendation on a book that you enjoy that inspires you on this topic. Okay, so this is a little bit older, but it's something I really love. And it's John C. Lee Brown's A New Culture of Learning. It really delves into kind of the imagination and how to spark creativity and play and playfulness within your learning experiences. I'm a big fan and I find it really just kind of enlightening. So that's really important. That's a great one. Thank you. Well, Sarah, it's always such a pleasure to talk to you and to get your wisdom and knowledge on this topic, which is absolutely wonderful. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Thank you for having me, Kinga. Great to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you.